What is up and welcome to another episode of The Kickback. This is episode number 46. And I said this last the last episode, but this one I'm even more excited. Um I was super anxious and I couldn't wait to do this uh interview with the legendary Stitch Duran. And man, I just uh I just got done doing uh the interview and I thought about it. I was like, you know what, I usually do what's on tap um before I do the interview. So I thought, you know, I'm gonna mix it up a little bit. I'm gonna do the what's on tap um after the interview, but I'm still gonna post it, you know, right before the interview starts. So uh you know, having Stitch Duran on was awesome. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. But the reason why I'm doing this is for what's on tap. So today, episode number 46, and I got to give a shout out to Dipsomaniac Podcast. I was able to do their podcast, and it's out already. So make sure you go to Dipsomaniac. Um, check out the Instagram page. Uh, I'll have stuff posted or tagged check uh check myself out on on that episode it was super fun so shout out to them and not only shout out to them for having me on but shout out to them because i'm actually drinking a beer that i had on that show uh for what's on tap here just because i wanted to you know talk about it it's uh it's called with your mom in the kitchen and it's the first, actually, no, not the first one that we've had on this show. It's like, it's the second sour beer that we've had on uh, on the kickback. The first one was when we had Randy on. He had a couple sours with us, or he had one sour. So this beer, and I already cracked it open. I'm already drinking it. Um, the reason why I wanted to do this beer again is because I I enjoyed it so much. It it's crazy because you know when people think of sour beer, they think of you know that sour sour taste. This one it has a sour taste, but it's not overpowering. It's not overbearing. It's not uh, gonna make you you know cringe or you know cro- uh, close your eyes and you know it's not gonna make your mouth go crazy. This is like a perfect sour it is a perfect amount of um uh of that sour taste to it so if you've been wanting to try a sour beer but maybe you were just a little too intimidated by how you know how it's going to taste i would say try this beer uh with your mom in the kitchen because it is um, it's probably one of my favorite sour beers that I've ever had, if I'm being uh, honest with you. And it's um, it's from uh, local craft beer. It's a 8.5 percent, and you don't taste it. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the the sour. You know, it takes you know away that bitterness that some people have when they drink a, a higher percentage of beer. This doesn't have that. It doesn't have a weird aftertaste. It doesn't stay in your mouth. It is a perfect beer. I enjoyed it. 
Um, so shout out to Dipsomaniac Podcast for introducing me to that beer. If it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have gotten this beer. So, you know, shout out to them. And with that being said, let's say it again. Uh, with your mom in the kitchen from LCB Local Craft Beer, eight point five percent. It's a sour blueberry hazy double IPA. So. Hopefully you guys can find that. Uh, I was able to find that beer at Craft Beer Kings, so I'm sure if you go over there, they they had they had quite a few left. So I'm sure you'll you'll be able to find some. Um, with that being said, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the podcast with the legendary Stitch Duran. I had an amazing time. I couldn't stop hearing those amazing stories. I honestly think we could have went for another hour, but. You know, I want to save it for another day because I know I'm going to have him on again. So uh, enjoy the podcast. Enjoy episode number 46. Don't forget to check out Dipsomaniac Podcast. And here we go. The legendary Stitch Duran. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, our next guest for this episode is... I personally think he is a a walking legend in the world of boxing, in the world of MMA. Um, The most famous cut man in the world, I I would say, and the one and only Mr. Jacob Stitch Duran. How's it going, man? How how you doing? (laughs) I'm laying low like you, probably doing nothing, right? Uh, I thought of doing interviews, but... uh... Yeah, mentally and physically, I'm doing good. I just kind of wait and get back to work. So, uh, yeah, just a matter of time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like I said before, I appreciate you you coming on. And um, I know, just like everybody else, you know, we're we're kind of in limbo, waiting for you know everyone to get back to work. And I'm sure uh, it's taken you know a toll on you just because you don't you know you're not getting out there, you're not working, or there's no fights going on. So, how's the whole quarantine been? treating you now the past it's crazy to say the past few months yeah well you know to be honest with you chris i uh i kind of hate being lazy but i'm kind of loving it at the same time <laughs> you know uh you know I've, I've had a real real busy schedule and and uh it's nice to sit back with uh uh just you know my wife and i and just kind of spend some valuable time together and making the use of the, the best use out of it and uh but yeah, getting ready, you know, go back to work. It looks like uh, June I'll, I'll start doing some work. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a different world for sure. Not like it used to be. Yeah, and what's crazy is, like, are you getting, like, a little taste of what, you know, retirement's going to be looking like, you know, just not working and just hanging out at the house? You know, it's funny you say that, man, because uh, I wouldn't have had my taxes done. And uh, you know, I'm 68 years old, so uh, I, I just – before you even called, I was filling out my, my social security benefit, you know, to kind of start looking at, uh, you know, kind of, I mean, I've done it. Like my wife says, you know, you've done everything that, that you could possibly do. You know, you've reached the mountaintop, you know, uh, you know, maybe time something in cruise control and, uh, but, but off the record, fuck, I ain't ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll play it by ear. Yeah, like it's it's crazy just because you know when you're working every day or whatever you, some people always think like, oh my gosh, I can't wait till this is all over, and then you kind of get a little taste of it, and you're like, oh my god, I need to, 
I need to talk to people. I need to work. I need to do something. Like you, you just kind of feel a little too lazy. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that's okay. But I listen, I, you know, Monday through Thursdays for the most part, that this has been my normal routine anyway, because, you know, usually the fights are on weekends and, um, you know, I'll, usually I'll leave out of town uh, Thursday or Friday, you know, if the fights are on Saturday and come home Sunday and, uh, you know, Sunday through Thursday, I'm kind of doing what I do now. So I'm, I'm a veteran at doing what I do. Uh, mm. But you know, nonetheless, it's nice to see, you know, uh, the end of the tunnel and knowing that uh, when you have an option, you could go out and, and into the public and, you know, go to the gyms and just kind of do things we used to do. But uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a different world anyway. Yeah, yeah. And what's crazy is just for some people who who don't know and they just know you as Stitch Duran, you had a whole a whole life, you know, before you kind of jumped in the boxing world, right? Oh yeah, no, I've uh, you know I've had a pretty busy life, you know. Of course, uh, you know when I got into boxing full time was 26 years ago when I moved, made the move from uh, the Bay Area and California to Las Vegas to pursue boxing only, and and uh, to the point where I could do it full time. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's just for me, it's second nature now what I do, and uh, you know what I did before in the past was, you know, something that led me up to this. It gave me that background and uh, that experience to come over here to Vegas uh, with the big boys. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I've always been curious, like wh- whether it be, you know, actors or athletes or whoever it may be, I'm always interested on like the beginning and how it all started. Like when you decided to pursue this full time, was, was, were there moments where it's like, hey, this is a little uh, crazier than I thought or it's a little more hectic than I thought? Like, were there any rough patches in the beginning or was it pretty much smooth sailing from the get-go? No, that's a good question. But yeah, you know, whoever reaches the top, there's always stumbling blocks, right? And uh, mm-hmm. of course, you know, we've, we've all gone through them, but you know, that's, that's what separates the successful people from, from the ones that don't want to continue is you got to, you know, when you come across that negative, you got to cross that line and, and kind of, uh, kind of overcome it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've all been, no doubt about it, but, uh, you know, I, I've always, I always had a job. So this was always, uh, what I did is number one, I had my own school of kickboxing, but I also had a corporate America job. Uh, so what I did with the gym and training fighters to me was, it was just fun. Uh, you know, and to the point where I got real good at it and like I say, made the move to Vegas to pursue it on a full-time basis. But I, I, I always had a job. So, and that's what I recommend to people is, you know, there was a legendary fighter, Cornelius Boza Edwards from the UK, but uh, he lives here in Las Vegas now. And uh, I met him years and years ago before I moved to Vegas. And I told him I wanted to move to Vegas. Mm-hmm. And he says, look, man, let me give you a, a word of advice. And this is the advice I tell a lot of the young guys. There's three, three things that you need. You always need a job, a place to stay, and a car. And, and I always kept that in mind <clears throat> to the point where, I could leave that one job and do this full time. So yeah, we've all been through them, you know, the trials and tribulations and having the family support you and, you know, being there to follow your dreams and, and, you know, everything kind of fell in place. So, so I've been real blessed. Yeah. And I think that those words exactly, like 
those are probably some great you know great words to live by because you know sometimes people are so focused at the goal at hand that you know they kind of forget just in case it might not work out like you need to have those other things in place so that way that dream or that goal can continue because if you just you know focus on this thing and, and not worry about maybe a backup plan or something to support that dream then it might fall short so that, that that's that's great advice for someone like just to push you and to, just to keep thinking about hell yeah I say, that's that's the advice i tell a lot of people based on what cornelius boza edwards told me and you know i always kept that in the back of my burner because not everybody reaches the mountaintop you know and and there's certain levels of success and uh, you know, get to where you want to go. Just you got to keep going forward. Mm-hmm. So, being being a cut man for so many years, and not just that, just being in the world of boxing and the world of MMA, and just you know, just the world of fighting in general. I'm sure you've come across or heard some of the craziest things in in uh, in a corner or in between rounds, because especially now in the world of you know media, everybody wants the inside look when they're watching a uh, an MMA fight or when they're watching a boxing match they they cut to the corner because you want to hear the trainer you want to hear the coach telling them so everyone's pretty much choose muscles and they want to hear it like what are some crazy things that you've heard like in a corner or in between rounds oh man I've heard them all bro and I like the word choose muscles so you're Latino I love that. <laughs> exactly but no I've, I've, heard all, I've heard all kinds of stuff man you know it's uh you know, you, some guys crying, some guys laughing, some guys giving good instructions, some guys giving shitty instructions. And but I, uh, one moment that, that I participated in was when uh, Stephen Struve, this was an MMA fight when he was fighting this guy named Chris. Can't remember Chris's last name, but uh, anyway, Stephen Struve, his lip just shredded. Looked like looked like a shark took a bite out of it. It just you know, but he was still he was still in the game and. And whenever a doctor or referee stops a fight, it's because the fighter is at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Well, even though the cut on his lip looked real bad, you know, the doctor came in and, and, and I could tell that Stefan still wanted to fight. And uh, so out of encouragement, I told the doctor, I said, you know what? He, I, said, I told the doctor, if you guys have a good plastic surgeon, he's going to be okay. You know, and, uh, and what made that funny is the guys that were in the truck, you know, recording the fight. They heard the comments and they all started laughing. <laughs> and they told me, you know, after the fight, says, "Man, Stitch, that was a great sign." You know that you sold the doctor on, and Stephen Struve continued to fight. He ended up winning the fight. You know, <laughs> and uh, but I remember um, uh, Mayhem Miller. Uh, this was so I think with the WEC in those days. Uh, actually, maybe the UFC was early. Anyway, he was fighting. I think George St. Pierre, and and at the end of the fights, our job is to clean up the fighters you know they got any blood kind of get them ready for camera right mm-hmm. so i'm working on, on jason Dan miller and he says get the fuck out of my life and i just turned around and walked out I said, okay <laughs> you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna question this guy you know and uh months later he said he was just joking with me and, and and apologized but you know when he said that i said fuck i'm not gonna you know if that's what he wants that's what he's gonna get hey bro you, you know? don't you don't gotta ask me twice I, i'd beg you got it man yeah, yeah, of course, you know, but that was just, you know, just the way guys' different mentalities are. But no, there's been, you know, been a lot, a lot of great moments and and in between moments, you know, Vitor Belfort. Uh, no, I take that back. Vandalay Silva, 
Oh. When he fought Chuck Liddell. To me, to this point, I still call it one of the most brutal top three fights I've ever worked. And, you know, you could just hear the punches. And, and I was working the corner with Chuck Liddell. Mm-hmm. But about the week before, I saw Vandalay at the gym. And, and, and I'll never forget because the fight was December the 29th, uh, I think, at the MGM. And, and I told Vandalay, we're leaving. I said, look, man, uh, I want to give you some good karma. Uh, that's, you know, Saturday is going to be my birthday. I just want to give you some good karma. And I left it, right? <laughs> and um, so Leon Tabs is working with Vandalay, and I'm working with Chuck, and these guys are just cracking each other where you could just hear and feel the sounds. And after the fight, you know, I go clean up Chuck Lightdale. He has a small cut. I clean it up, and I go across the corner to where Leon is working on Vandalay Silva, and Vandalay's all bruised up, and, you know, he looks like the elephant man of just probably one of the <laughs> toughest career, right? So I said, but, you know, Vandalay, how you feeling? How you doing? He goes, oh, Steach, I'm okay, Steach, I'm okay. And out of everywhere, out of the blue, he says, Steach, happy birthday. And I said, wow, <laughs> this guy is in the, the most brutal fighter's career, and he remembered my birthday, you know, which I thought was pretty awesome. <laughs> Damn, that is awesome. Just to think, like, he still, you know, he had that thought in his mind, like, hey, I was just in this brutal match, but happy birthday. That's That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even like Fedor Emilianko, you know, and the last time I worked with him on Bellator, uh, I walk into the hotel and he's in the lobby with, you know, all his team and all that. And, and he comes up to me and, uh, cause I've always had a good working relationship with him and he gives me a hug and he says, I got you some sweat, the team sweats, right? Oh, nice. I said, no shit. He said, yeah, yeah. So he sent the guy up to the room, the guy comes back and I have some Fedor Emilianko team sweats with my name on them in the front and in the back. And, and and to me, what I thought that was so special was because these outfits were being made while he was in Russia. Mm. And at that point, he thought about me enough to make me some sweat. And I got them hanging in my closet right now. Damn, that I, I can't imagine the amount of like, you know, things like that or, you know, just like little like gifts or, you know, shirts. Or, like you must have so many things that just like make your kind of own little museum out of it. Oh, I got tons, you know, Brock Lesnar, uh, Leoto Machida, you know, Tito Ortiz, you know, they all, you know, gave me outfits and, I mean, tons of stuff. And, you know, I think I remember the young Hawaiian guy, he comes up to me before I put the Vaseline and, and he has his, uh, I guess they're macadamia nuts, <laughs> and he has a necklace and, and he puts it on me, you know, and I said, wow, <laughs> right in front of the whole world, you know. So, yeah, I do have some great memorabilia. And, and you know, what makes so special, Chris, is, is those are things that I didn't have to ask for. Those are things that these guys thought about uh, before they even got into the dressing room. And, uh, and you know, that, that's what makes it worthwhile, you know. And, uh, but tons of stories like that. Oh, hands down. I, I can't imagine. I, I'm curious because when, like, when, when you're doing this and when you're, you know, you're just, you know, you're doing your job. But at what point did it just kind of take off to the point where not just the, the fighters knew who you were or not just the coaches knew who you were, but, you know, little by little, like more fans were starting to recognize you. More fans were starting to, you know, know who you were and know who you are. And, like, at what point did that just start to blow up? Well, I, I, I got to give, you know, Dave White credit for him bringing me into the UFC. Even though he let me go, he's the one that brought me in, so... I got to give him credit for that. But 
I think you know, once the UFC started, you know, blossoming, and and guys were getting cut, and I'm keeping them in the game, and you know they're giving me kisses on the cheek, and I think the fans started realizing that, you know, the importance of a good cut man, you know, wrapping their hands, you know, everybody, you know, they they there's five cut men that work in the UFC, and they designate different guys to get their hands wrapped by certain guys. Well, shit, everybody wanted me to wrap their hands, you know. Uh, so I guess the word, the com- you know, conversations and, and actions are what, what enticed the, uh, uh, the fans, you know, they, they took notice on me. And in fact, I was talking to Burt Watson yesterday <laughs> is, another great story, is we're, I think we're in Toronto and, uh, we're, we're having breakfast and we're walking the streets and they got these patio uh, seating and this girl says, Hey, you're the greaser, huh? <laughs> and I walked up and I said, look. Uh, I know what you mean, but that's something you don't want to call a Mexican. You know? <laughs> You're the greaser. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but hey, that's what and that's what Bert was saying is you know people recognized you as that was the guy. You were the guy that was putting the Vaseline on. Guy. Yeah. So I, I became part of the picture, and um, and it seems you know it hasn't stopped yet. Hey, well, at least the name Greaser didn't stick, and the stitch stitch Yeah. Gender, yeah. 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 <laughs> I would have put him in check big time. It was, but it was funny. I was just talking about it yesterday. I said, yeah, because my wife and I were talking about it, and I, I called Bert. I said, Bert, I said, do you remember when we were in Toronto, and that lady referred to me as a greaser? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the greaser, huh? I said, yeah, yeah, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah. so, so that was kind of cute. That's all, and I'm kind of curious because you did bring up, you know, the UFC and Dana White. I know it was a few years ago, but when that whole Reebok deal, you know, came in and – I feel like that story of you getting let go, it just got, it took, that just elevated everything even more because like you were, you know, you, you were speaking your mind and people, yeah. it was at that perfect time where like social media would blow a story up or people would put the quotes out everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So like, how did that whole thing go down and like, how did it, like, how was the reaction? Like, when, when people were on your side, like, how was your reaction to that? No, oh, it, it it made me cry, bro. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not going to lie because uh, what what had happened is, of course, you know, this Reebok, because you went into the Reebok deal and, and obviously everybody lost their sponsors and, and what have you now. But I, I literally needed the UFC uh, to make my money for the sponsors. I was making more money with sponsors than I was uh, with what the UFC was paying us. Mm-hmm. For the most part, they were paying us, you know, it, it definitely wasn't boxing type of money. And, uh, but nonetheless, I needed them uh, uh, for the, for the exposure to get paid by sponsors. And I was making some good banks. So anyway, they got rid of us. And, and uh, <clears throat> at that point I got a call from John Nash from bloody elbow. And, and he I never met him, but he asked if, I'd be interested in doing an interview on how the Reebok deal affected the company. And, uh, you know, being that I grew up as a farm worker in the Central Valley of California, born and raised in a migrant camp, uh, you know, my parents during the Cesar Chavez era always fought for fair practices for the farm workers. So my whole family's always been, uh, you know, trying to do the right thing. And, And when John has called me, I thought, you know what, if I don't stick up and man up, uh, it wouldn't. I wouldn't represent my family. So uh, when I did the interview, it was very politically correct, and 
you know, I understood the UFC, what they were doing. And, you know, I think maybe what got them, number one, it was, it was bad timing because it was like putting, it was like throwing a gallon of gasoline on, on a fire that was just turning off, right? <laughs> uh, but, but that shit went viral, man. It just, it went viral and I'm getting calls from all over the world and uh, from fans, from fighters, from coaches, from staff in the UFC and, and this and that. And, uh, you know, so finally I get a call from, we're all friends, one of our friends. And, and he says, asked if I had a chance to talk, or if I had a moment to talk. And at that time I was at Costco shopping with my wife. And I said, well, look, I'll be home. Give me a call in an hour. And, and, uh, Jesse and Mark both called me and, and, uh, Mark is where like I said, we're all good friends. And his voice is kind of crackling. And, and the only thing he says is because of the interview you did about Reebok, the UFC is not going to use you no more. Wow. And that was, you know, kind of a little slap in the face. And so I kind of, I didn't want to jump on Mark, you know, but I did say, Mark, do me a favor. It's Utah Dana. I said he ain't got no balls that he should have called me personally since he's the one that brought me in. Yeah. So I'm getting tons, I'm getting tons and tons of mails. I mean, emails and texts and just all kinds of shit. And the first text that I read is a guy named David Estrada. I don't even know the guy. But I responded back to him. He was a sport supporting me. And I said, I want you to be the first one to know that the UFC just let me go for speaking out about the Reebok deal. Got to find another job. Man, brother, that shit went viral mega big. Mega big. Wow. I'm getting calls from all over the world. And I'm getting job offers from all over the world. And I'm doing interview after interview. And um, there's a friend of mine. I talk, you were talking about, I was talking about crying. There was so much positive energy that... Uh, <clears throat> There's a friend of mine, Robbie LeBlanc, that has uh, a thing called Motivational Mondays. And uh, and um, this one was, you know, today's topic is about, you know, speaking up for what's right. And my good friend, Stitch Duran, this and that. Anyway, I'm listening to his, uh, uh, his speech, and then I started crying. You know, just so much positive, positive energy. And my wife walks into the room, and, and she's asking what's happening. And uh, I let her listen to it, and she starts crying. You know, and uh, so those were the real positive energies. And, and I remember I was going to the Mandalay Bay. I was uh, going to do a show with George and Goes on MMA Junkie Radio. And uh, I'm in the back seat of the car, and my son's driving, and my wife's in the front seat, and I'm going through all my messages. I'm, I'm getting a shitload of them, brother. Wow. And Robin Offner, the owner of Bad Boy, calls me. And he was one of my sponsors, right? And he says, Stitch, what if we do this? What if we make create a shirt about you, your shirt and we sell it and all the proceeds go to you? Man, once again, Chris, I started crying. Wow. You know, just the kind of love, just the kind of love I was getting, you know. And uh, and then, you know, I mean, just everybody knew about it. And, you know, when I went to L.A. for the first Creed uh, red carpet for the premiere, uh, after the movie, we have a party and, Wesley Snipes comes up to me and, <laughs> and the first thing, he, first thing he does, he goes, Hey man, the UFC did you wrong. And I said, man, look at you. You know? So, uh, yeah, that's the kind of love. And still now it's been like six years and everywhere I go, everywhere I go, people are saying, fuck Dana, fuck UFC, <laughs> fuck Reebok. And, and, and it got to the point where even the, the Reebok guy called me, Mike. And, uh, you know, he, of course he was defending Reebok says, you know, that they had nothing to do with it. And mm-hmm. I you know, I, I understood. I, it was no hard feelings for me, but uh, I guess in all reality, the best thing that ever happened to me is is speaking up about unfair practices, doing the right thing, and and uh, you know, 
I'm, I'm doing better now than I was before. Yeah, and I I think when when that whole Reebok deal was going on, fighters were you know giving Dana White crap. You know, fans were giving Dana White crap because the because the fighters were complaining about the deal, and then you know you come along and you share your frustrations with it, and I think he kind of used you as an example yeah. where it's like, oh, Hey, I, I can't let go my biggest fighter, but I can let go stitch and he, him thinking, you know, um, I'm going to set an example for everyone. So everyone can stop, you know, being on my ass about this. But I, like I like I have chills just hearing the amount of, you know, love and support that you were getting. It's unbelievable. No, and, and still to this point, you know, somebody, I'm telling you, somebody stalks me all the time. I'm not talking about every once in a while. It's it's all the time, and, and a lot of people know me for that. You know, is that that Stitch is the one that spoke out and and uh, kind of took the bullet for everybody. Uh, but yeah, it uh, it worked out fine. Oh, so you, you know, then people say, have, "Have you run into Dana?" I said, "No, I haven't run into him." And well, if you did, what would you say? I said, "Shit, I'd shake his hand and." I'd say, you know, thanks for letting me go, but it's the best thing ever happened to me. You know, <laughs> and they walked away. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Like that was that was probably the best thing that could ever happen, you know. Like you know, you like you said, you bit the bullet and you know, it paid off for you. But you you mentioned uh, you know, Creed. I remember watching the movie and I remember seeing the walk you know, Creed walking out, and then I see you right there, right right behind him. I was like, Yes, like this it gave the movie even like more validation. Like fuck, like fuck. Yeah. They have like a real cup man in there. Like it made it, it just made it even better. What, what was it like being in the on set? Unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. And, and you know, what, uh, things just happen, you know, to this point, I, I let you know, Chris, to this point with everything that's happened to me in my life and my career, uh, being that I'm a proud Chicano, I've never kissed anybody's ass or anything like that. Everything that has happened to me, I've never asked for one job. You know, I just, I, I've just been blessed, and I know I've been blessed. And uh, but when I got the call to to do Creed, uh, I, I get the the script, and and I'm reading it, and my name is Marcel, <laughs> and I'm thinking Marcel. I said, "Fuck, I don't know anybody named Marcel." <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna have, I'm gonna have to change that, right? But when it was it was time for Rocky to introduce us to Adonis in the beginning of the movie, Sylvester Stallone, his line was supposed to be, this is Marcel, the best cut man in Philadelphia. Well, he goes up and he says, oh, this is Stitch, the best cut man in Philadelphia. You know, that was one line that he used. That was the script line. The one where he ad-libbed, he says, oh, this, this is Stitch. He says, he's so good. He's so, so good as a cut man, he should have been a surgeon. And, <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, he, you know, he used my name both times. And, and deep inside, I'm thinking, yes. Yeah. You know, right on, man. So the next day, I, I told Sly, I said, "Look, man, I want to, I want to thank you for using my name, my name." And just like you said, he goes, "No, it has to be authentic," you know. And uh, you know, and that's that's how that started off. But a very, very unbelievable experience just working with, you know, Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler, the young directors from Oakland, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, working with Sylvester Stallone and Tessa Thompson on the first movie and. And then to get called for the second movie uh, was was even more of an honor. Oh, without a doubt. And I think, you know, be just being able, getting those little opportunities, like those, I wouldn't even say little, those huge opportunities, just to have your, 
yourself on the screen and millions of people watching the movie. That's a, it's unbelievable. So I, I'm curious to, again, because, um, you know, you, you, you've gotten to be on both sides of MMA and boxing. And for some reason, both worlds kind of crash and collide and, you know, one side doesn't like the other. And, you know, there's always like animosity and, you know, craziness between the two sides. You've been able to be on both. You know, what what uh what kind of makes you earn more money? Like the the MMA fighter or the boxer? Like who makes you have a harder day's work when it comes to that? Well the the guy that the the, the program that makes me work the hardest is, is bare knuckle fighting. <laughs> now oh, that's hell the, that's yeah. That's the sport I'm working with now, which is great, right? And uh, so they make me work, but economically, yeah, boxing pays, you know, ten, fifteen times more uh, for one, one working with one fighter than I do, you know, working a, a, a MMA or a bare knuckle fight, you know. But nonetheless, <clears throat> with my sponsors, I, I think these groups, uh, whether it's MMA or whether it's bare knuckle fights, uh, so that I could use my sponsors, right? And uh, so, so it all pays off real well. Man, that bare knuckle fight, that that bare knuckle league is is ridiculous. It's it's, a, it's like the craziest thing to watch. I love it. Like when you when you're part of that, you're like I, I feel like when they made that league, you're like, hey, we need we need to get the best cut man, uh, the best crew together because they're one hundred percent. There's gonna be some blood. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know when Dave Feldman contacted me, the um, he gave me an offer, and the first fights were in my Cheyenne, Wyoming, and I figured, you know what, I'm gonna go. But I'm going to go and evaluate the safety factors that they are implementing on how they're going to take care of the fighters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we sat there when we got there. I think it was Thursday. Uh, we sat down with the Wyoming Athletic Commission and Dan Margliotti, the referee, and Bill Clancy, the referee, you know, big boxing MMA referees, uh, Dave Feldman uh, with the commission. We all got together with bare knuckle fights. We all got together and we went through the rules one by one and uh and and there were some changes that we made based on our experience and they were receptive towards that so you know that uh that encouraged me to work with them plus you know dave Feldman is a super super guy to work with uh and he takes care of his fighters and takes care of his staff but a lot of the guys that i've worked with are guys i worked with before whether it was boxing or whether it was mma but i tell you man it's a it's a different world man just the, the mindset of these guys, I I always tell people the mindset of MMA or boxing fighter is at a certain level, but to get to bare knuckle fight, you have to surpass that level and go into a higher level because these guys are cracking each other mano a mano, and it's probably a sixty seventy percent cut ratio guaranteed. Oh yeah, guaranteed. And I'm just from what you've been saying. So in the MMA world. I guess it's kind of like, you know, they assign you a fighter. Is that is that how it works? For the bare knuckle fights? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm in one side. They they have two cut men. And uh so I'll be in I'll be in one side uh and and I'll work that whole that whole fight. Whoever Dave Feldman it's usually the house fighters I work with. But whoever Dave Feldman puts let's say in the red corner, which is my corner, then these are the guys I work with. Whoever's in the blue corner then the other cut man will work on them. 
So in the world of boxing, how does that work? Is it kind of the same thing where you kind of get no. a corner, or is it like boxers are requesting you to be their cut man? Yeah, in boxing, it's entirely different. It's because um, MMA and bare knuckle fights, the promoter pays pays me, but in boxing, I get assigned, I get hired by the actual fighter himself, and like you know Tyson Fury when he fought uh, Deontay Wilder uh, before we went on. On lockdown, uh, they called me to work with them, you know, and then they gave me a very handsome fee uh, just to make sure that I took care of them. But that's why I say boxing, uh, even though I'm working with one fighter, I get paid 10, 15 times more uh, there than, than I do bare knuckle fights. But uh, bare knuckle or MMA, uh, I get paid. I make it up because I get paid with sponsors. So I give them what they want. They give me what I want. Exactly. And I, for that Fury fight, man, I – Watching that, watching that fight, I don't even know how I would be able to work. Like I would just be so fascinated in, in the fight. I'd be like, oh yeah, I forgot, I'm working right now. Nah, I've been through too many of those events, bro. You know, and like I like I was saying, to me, it's I told Tyson Fury and I told all these guys. To me, it's not how good of a fighter you are because every fighter I work with is good. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the personality that you have that will make me determine whether I work with you or not. And uh, Tyson Fury, like I say, is just, he's such a good, good kid, you know. And, and even uh, uh, even though these guys are modern-day gladiators, deep inside, they're all babies, you know. <laughs> and, and my job my job is to understand that, and my job is to, to be that security blanket, you know. And like I say, the, the, the week before the, the Fury-Deontay Wilder fight, I did the bare-knuckle fights, and I did, I did a bunch of interviews up there, and, and when I got back, I'm telling Tyson Fury, I said, you know, everybody has had a bunch of interviews and everybody's concerned about the cut except you and I. And he looks at me, he goes, man, I'm not concerned about the cut. So I took that away from him, you know, and he could concentrate fully on boxing. Do you, I'm sure I know the answer to this, but how important is it to have not, not just a cut man, but a good cut man that's going to, you know, when something gets a, when, you know, a cut opens up, like you need to be able to trust that cut man to be able to stop the bleeding or kind of just, you know, not have it gushing out. Like how important is it to have a good cut man to, to help you out when, the, when you get in trouble like that? No, you're right. You know the answer, man. If you got to go out in the street fight, would you want me with you or, or your friend Paco? Sorry, Paco, get out of here. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Michael. No, it's 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 extremely important, and then that's why, you know, it's important to 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 get a, a foundation with the fighter, you know, whenever whenever I'm working with them, and uh, and like Andre Ward, you know, worked with Andre Ward also, and and I remember he came, I think he fought shit, I can't remember who he fought, but he ended up getting cut. And he said, "Man, I know I got cut," and then I thought, "Well, I'm not worried because I got stitched," you know, and and that's. That's what you want to take away from these guys is is the thought of of losing a fight because they get cut. Oh, and it's it's happened before where guys, you know, guys still have some fight left in them, but maybe they just have a cut that might be you know bleeding a little too much or it might just look bad, and it gets stopped. Where you know it's 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 crazy just to see like the amount of work that you that you gotta that you have when when that cut opens up. What what's like the first thing that pops in your mind? Uh, time, how quick you're going to get to them, you know, what applications you're going to use, and 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 how you're going to, you know, 
uh, psychologically, how are you going to take that stress away from them? Uh, you know, a lot of times I go, yeah, hey, man, you're looking fine, man. I just, just want to make sure you, you walk out as handsome as you walk in, you know. <laughs> I said, shit, this ain't nothing, you know. Just go out there and kick his ass. You know, so I take that away from them. Those You're talking about the behind-the-scenes moment that, that the fans want to see, and, and those are the things, you know, that uh, that it's important. And, and, and let me say, in, in boxing, more so than MMA, because in MMA, uh, a lot of the guys use the format that I created. They wear gloves. They wear the wrist wrap where they put the swabs uh, on the wrist wrap instead of their teeth, instead of their mouth or their ears. And mm-hmm. the application that they put on, you know, is all techniques that I've been using for years and years. And in boxing, there's a lot of guys that do a horrible job because nobody has ever taught them. And a lot of them don't want to learn because they're very egotistical, you know. So, uh, you know, and, and a lot of fighters don't really understand how important it is to have a good cup, man, until the time comes. And uh, when Baju did jackpot, do you remember that big cut he had in his forehead? And his whole face was full of blood. Oh, yeah. uh, the cup man didn't know what he was doing, and, and he kind of choked and he freaked out. And, you know, the fight after, the, he brought me in. So I work, I'm working with Badu Jack now, you know. So, you know, that's, that's important to always have a good cup, man. Yeah, and uh, and the more you 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 bring it up, and the more I'm thinking about it, like it it is crazy to think, like because there's some you know boxers who like oh he's been my cut man since I was an amateur, so you know he's part of the team, yeah. and you can't have that. You need a pro. Yeah, and then keep in mind a lot of guys, you know, a lot of boxers don't get cut. Boxing's not like MMA or bare knuckle fights where, you know, let's say you have a twenty fight career, right? Well, out of those twenty fights, you may get cut once you might get cut twice you know we're in the insurance policy exactly whenever you get that big tyson fury type of cut you're going to have to get somebody that you that knows what they're doing so they can take care of those kind of cuts you know and uh that's not necessarily the case with a lot of guys in boxing i mean you look at them if they they got a swab in their mouth or they got a swab in their ear uh what they're only they're trying to do is identify themselves as being a cut man and and usually when they do that, I I, I wouldn't hire them. <laughs> so when you're when you're working uh, fights like that, like where where like let's say bare knuckle, where you're just on, you know, the red corner, uh, do you ever get yourself caught up in the moment where like you're, like let's say a big knockout comes and you cheer them on and all that, or do you have to stay neutral and just you know not, you know, favor a certain fighter? Yeah, you know, for the most part, that's a good question, man. For the most part, uh, I, I try to be neutral because, you know, I've worked with you in one fight and worked with the other guy the next fight, right? So so I try to be neutral, and, and it's just a matter of, you know, the pick of the draw. But in the same token, like I mentioned earlier, there's some guys I worked with before, uh, either in boxing or MMA, that we had a good relationship there. And, uh, you know, when they have a good victory, of course, you know, I got to, try to sneak a good love in there but uh yeah of course you know i mean i don't go jumping for joy and just making you know making a fool out of myself and uh you know i just incognito just let them know that i'm there to support them mm, and yeah it makes sense because you, you're working with you know you're working with a lot yeah. of different fighters so i it makes sense what about um when it comes to either either sport boxing or mma um 
who's a fighter that you kind of would want to be in their corner to to work with them or at least just kind of to just to you know see what their process is all about because i'm sure not only are you part of the game but you're you're a fan as well so i'm curious like if is there a certain fighter that you would want to work with yeah you know i uh, yeah you're right i work with a lot of great fighters I mean, it's just you know it's just but yeah who would you who would i want to work with another good question bro by the way you know it's funny i was i was doing my taxi yesterday and the wife of the guy who's doing them is Russian. And I was telling her, I said, you know, I, I, I work with more Russian fighters than I do with Mexican fighters. And it's true, yeah. you know. But I think if I had a choice right now in this current situation, uh, if I had a choice to say, you know what, uh, let me work with this one guy, it'd probably be Canelo. Oh, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah. He he rarely yeah. gets in trouble, though. So it's like... No, he got kind of the last fight, and his oh, cut that... did a good job. I think his cut man was his trainer. Uh, he did a good job and all that, but like I say, once again, we're we're insurance policies. You know how many times I hear that? And hey, man, don't I never get cut? Shit, brother, got me some work that night. You know, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're we're an insurance policy. If you you have a Lamborghini, you got to pay Lamborghini prices. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. You need like like you mentioned before, you need a good cut, man, because you never know when when that moment comes. You're gonna have the right guy in your corner, or else, who knows? That could be the night where they they stop it. So, what about? Um, I've always been curious about when when I do see a cut, and a lot of you know, not the big fans or maybe just the regular people, they might see a cut, and they'd be like, "Oh my gosh, this is too much. They need to they they need to stop the fight." Like, where where are some like trouble spots to get get a cut? Because I know sometimes, like above the eye, or right in the eyebrow, you know, because blood's going to be dripping into your eye. Like, where are some trouble spots where, you know, if there's a nice decent cut, it might be a little, you know, you have your work cut out for you. Well, you just pull all kinds of good questions, man. So <laughs> I, uh, that's a good point because whenever a doctor or a referee stops a fight, it's because a fighter is at a disadvantage, and a disadvantage could be like you said getting blood in your eyes where you can't see, you know, the eye is swollen shut where you can't see, you know, uh, where he's taking uh, a volume of punches. You know, those, those are the situations when when a doctor or a referee will stop a fight. But the the cut that, that is always the hardest is that one like Badu Jack that, you know, when you laugh, you see that big vein between the eyes mm-hmm. coming from the top of your head down to the bottom. Well, that's a pretty big vein. And and when that one is popped, it, it's going to continue to bleed and bleed and bleed like it did with uh, uh, Badu Jack. And I remember people asking in MMA, my bloodiest fight that I ever worked was Jay Haran fought Jonathan Goulet. And the same thing is Jay Haran took a knee from Jonathan Goulet. His forehead and the cut was maybe no more than an inch long, but it severed that cut or that vein right between the eyes. And it bled like a pig to the point where uh, both fighters had blood from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet. And, and and when I'm working on it, the doctor comes and says, well, Stitch, what do you think? Can you get it, control it? I say, yeah, no problem. You know, So I'm, I'm working on it. And, and I mix adrenaline chloride and Vaseline, and that's what I use as the final topical. The adrenaline chloride from 1000 is, is what we use on the swabs that goes into the cut. And that's a vessel constrictor, so that closes up the blood vessel. So I mixed it up with Vaseline as a final topical. So 
I knew I was in trouble because I covered the cut up beautiful, just like 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 artwork, and that blood kind of just busted like a dam right through the Vaseline. So I knew I knew I was in a whole bunch of shit, you know. Anyway, they they both there was so much blood that I I got nauseated, and uh, they ended up stopping the fight because it was just too bloody to fight. Really, that that's interesting. That's kind of like some inside baseball type of stuff, where it's like you kind of you're getting the the literally you're getting it right from from your mouth, just how you kind yep. of kind of like analyze it. And how long yep. how long did it take you to just like to to consider yourself just like I got this? Like how how long did it take for you to get that confidence enough to where it's just no matter what situation comes my way. I'm going to have it handled or I'm going to do it to the best of my ability? Well, you know, uh, that's a good question again. Uh, it goes back to the reason I made the move to Las Vegas. Uh, because, you know, people didn't know my background when I moved there, but then I had my own school of kickboxing and I trained fighters. I went all over the world with them. And, and not only was the trainer, not only was I the manager, but I was always also the cut man where I would wrap their hands and, of course, and it got cut, I'd work their cut. So that was, you're talking about baseball, that was my kind of like my minor leagues of, of going into the majors. And when I moved to Vegas, I, I moved into the majors, but I already had those credentials with me. And the first big coming out fight that I had in Las Vegas was Raul Marcus from Houston, Texas, fought Keith Mullins. Raul was the IBF super middleweight champion, and he ended up with like five nasty cuts and, and uh, something like 70 stitches all together. And I ended up keeping him in the game. And and people recognized, oh, who is this guy? You know, so they didn't know that coming into Vegas that I already had a lot of experience working on cuts. Uh, so, you know, that's the experience factor that, that you get that I had when coming in. And, and that just gave me the – because I've seen them all. I've seen all kinds of cuts. Mm-hmm. So now it's the point where everything is based on technique and timing and, and location. You know, is positioning. It's all instrumental. And when I do seminars or when I teach a young cut man, give him some advice, uh, those are the things that I'll tell him to do: is is have everything systematic. Uh, yeah, and I, I love I love it just because you know those there's always like those moments in anyone's career, whatever you do, there's always those moments like a validation where it's like when it's all said and done. You know, you look back at it and, you know, like, hey, yeah, this was the turning point. This is what, you know, what proved to everyone, like, hey, you know, I belong here. So I think that's like a great, it's a great story. It's a, it's a great uh, uh, motivation for people to hear. And I think one of the things that, you know, stands out, especially when, you know, you come, when your name gets brought up, it's the, you know, the saying, the one more round, one more round of yeah. fight. Like where did where did that come about? How did that come out? Man, remind me. Let me tell you, nice words for me, okay? But but let me tell you one more story on 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 getting accolades. The first movie that I made, and I've made six movies, right? I've been kind of fortunate, yeah. not even an actor. But the first movie that I that I was in was called Play It to the Bone with Woody Harrelson and Antonio Bandera. Ooh. And Aaron, this was 15, 16, 18 years ago, and uh, but. It was me and Chuck Bodak, and, and I don't know how old you are, Chris, but Chuck Bodak was the cut man that looked like Colonel Sanders that worked with uh, Julio Cesar Chavez. Yes, with Oscar De La Hora, I know who that is. Yes. He would put the, the tape on his forehead. and uh, So anyway, he, 
him and I were the two cut men in the movie. And it was his birthday when we were doing filming, and Ron Shelton, the director, <clears throat> had a nice party for him, you know, during one of the breaks, and, and he's up in the middle of the ring as they're giving him gifts, and, and his speech was, when I turn in, when I cash in my chips, and I'm at the bottom of the ring, he points at me, he goes, that's going to be the next greatest cut man in boxing. And I thought that was a, that was a nice nice piece of that, uh, accolade that uh, that I got, you know. And uh, and of course we became friends and stayed friends ever since until he passed away. Uh, so, you know that was that was good. Shit, I forgot the second question you asked me. Wow, no, I that was just that. I was just thinking that's amazing that that just to get that that praise, I would I would have been like, oh my god, I got the the stamp of approval, um, uh, by the by Are the goat. Yeah, he yeah the goat. He was literally the primary cut man at that time, and uh, just to work with him was was pretty awesome, you know. And uh, so, and, and what what was fun because I, I wanted to be the cut man for Antonio Bandera because he was Latino, I was Latino, right? Mm -hmm. But Chuck Bodak got in front of me, and I'll tell you, everything is, in life is positioning. Uh, he got in front of me, so he ended up working with Antonio Banderas, and I ended up working with Woody Harrelson. But when you see the movie down the road, it's called Played to the Bone. Uh, he gets cut, and, and uh, the promoter says, oh, don't worry, you got the best cut man in, in boxing. And, and then his coach is saying during another scene that, oh, don't worry about it, you got the best cut man. So I got the accolades. <laughs> <laughs> so, so everything worked out real good. Yeah, everything just always kind of goes your way sometimes, but I love it. That's the way it happens, man. So, uh, yeah, uh, I was asking, how did the whole uh, – the one more round uh, to fight, like how oh, did yeah. that how did so, that get going? All right, so so here's the story with one more round is uh, obviously of course you know with the UFC I had sponsors. The first one that I had were uh, were Tap Out, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, so uh, Tap Out sold the company. They went up to these other guys, and and Mark Zucker was looking at Balboa, uh, yeah, Rocky Balboa when Rocky fought his last fight. And and uh, he was looking at it where Rocky is telling his his his, his son, he goes, you know, I, I got to go that one more round. Mm -hmm. And he thought about it, and and Mark, the owner of One More Round, his he had a clothing company called BC Ethics, but he saw that and it just lit a fuse in him. He said, you know what, that's a great line because everybody in life has to go that one more round. You know, if you want to succeed, you gotta you gotta go that one more round, right? And it's pretty much it, right? Yeah. So he he, uh, he contacted Matt Hughes, and he sponsored Matt Hughes. And Matt Hughes is the one that says, you know what, Mark, if anyone you need to sponsor, you need to sponsor Stitch because his job is to give that fighter that one more round. So Mark got a hold of me, and, and uh, we met uh, here in Las Vegas, my wife and I and him, and, and we teamed up, and and uh, I became you know one more round and, uh, to the point where people thought it was my company. So, you know, for for the longest time, and, and people still yell out, "Stitch, one more round, one more round." You know, <laughs> yeah. so it was so it was synonymous to me. And uh, so, with the UFC was requiring these guys to pay anywhere from fifty to like a hundred thousand dollars of fees for them to sponsor guys to be shown on UFC TV, right? And and Mark couldn't afford the money, so he had to pull out. So. Fast forward, I always believed in the company. I always believed in one more round and what have you not. And, and, and I try to stay in touch with Mark every once in a while. And, 
So, God, it's been maybe six months ago. I worked with a YouTuber called uh, KSI. He fought the guy named Logan Paul. They both had like 20 yeah. million followers, right? It, it was insane with the zone. It was a and crazy I didn't fight. Know these guys. What's that? It was, it was a crazy fight. Yeah, well, you know, just the, the episode just to be there was, was phenomenal because I didn't know the social media. I mean, 20 million followers is, is a shitload of people, right? Yeah. So I'm working with, I'm working with KSI, and Mark is watching those fights. In fact, his son said, come on, Dad, let's go look at the fights. You know, so they went to a friend's house and, and they saw the fights and he saw me on TV and he contacted me. And they said, man, I saw you on TV. I said, Mark, what's going on, man? You know, I always believed in you and what have you not. Anyway, leading up to that call, uh, Mark and I have teamed up now and we rebooted, uh, relaunched uh, one more round. So this happened right before this lockdown came in, but... In doing so, when I met with Tyson Fury, uh, I, I met him two weeks before the fight. And the first thing we did, you know, he introduced, welcomed me to the team, and we took pictures, and and um, he showed me his cuts. And, of course, we went through them. And, and then finally, you know, being that I'm, you know, I work on marketing, I work on sponsors, I said, look, Tyson, let me, let me throw this at you. I said, you know, I'm working with a new apparel company one more round, um, and I have sponsors. Would you mind if I made a cornerman, my cornerman jacket to match your colors and have my sponsors on it? And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Stitch, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> so nice. when, when you look at the fight, the cornerman jacket that I have was designed by. So that was our debut. One more round was, was literally when Tyson Fury uh, fought Deontay Wilder. And then the week after, I worked with Jesse Vargas uh, on the zone also, and I got to wear one more round and then and then we went into lockdown but talking about one more round yeah we are back together uh right now like i said we're on lockdown so uh, not a not a whole lot's going on but uh, we will be kicking it in and uh, we'll be going strong but thanks for bringing that up yeah man that, i was always curious like how that got going so um you've been you've been in the game for so long and you've seen fighters come and go you've seen the greatest you've seen you know some of the most historical moments ever, right? Best seat in the house, yeah. right in the corner. What's your favorite era of either boxing or MMA? Like, what's your favorite era? Is it like the current state of where it's at, or you know, you know, back in the nineties or eighties or early two thousand? Yeah, 2000s? you know, I, yeah, you know, I like the era of the Roberto Durans, the Tommy Hearns, the Sugar Ray Leonard, the Marvin Hagler's. You know, that, that era, the Larry Holmes, uh, Muhammad Ali, you know, that era of boxing was entirely different. Roger Mayweather, you know, uh, all these guys. Mm -hmm. That was the era, me as a fan, Alexis Aguayo, Aaron Pryor, you know, uh, all these guys to me was a fun, fun era. And uh, that's when boxing was, you know, when these guys weren't doing it on Eagles. And, you know, they weren't doing it for the big, big paydays because there wasn't that much money, mm -hmm. but they fought. You know, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad and <clears throat> that was a good era, you know, and, and as a fan, I, I really enjoyed watching those type of fights. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious, what what are your thoughts on the whole um, situation right now where there's fights going on without without a crowd? And I think just l watching the past couple of UFC cards, um, I'm getting, like, a greater appreciation because I get to hear those leg kicks. I get to hear those punches, like, it kind of takes you into a different experience. Like, what are your thoughts on the whole 
you know, you know, fights going on without a crowd? Uh, you know, I've been through many of those before. Uh, if you remember when I was with the UFC when they did the reality shows. Oh, we fought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we fought when there was no audience. So, so it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like it's new to me. Uh, I've been there, but I guess I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you some breaking news that, uh, <clears throat> since we are talking right now is, uh, Frank's going to do the same thing. I got a call from, uh, Brad Jacobs, uh, last week that, uh, I think starting June the 9th, uh, top rank is going to have two shows a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays oh. uh, here in Las Vegas. And, uh, they want me to be, uh, one of the two cup men. They're going to do the same thing that, that MMA and bare knuckle fights where they'll have a, uh, they'll supply a cut man in each side of the corner. <clears throat> and the reason they're doing that, because I think when with the fighter, you know, normally they bring a whole entourage, uh, so-and-so-and-so, but uh, they're only going to allow the fighter and two trainers. And, uh, you know, usually the head trainer and the assistant trainer, if, if they don't have a cut man, then top rank's going to offer our services to them. So um, so that's going to happen, I think, June, June the 9th, uh, I think the first fight is probably Shakir Stevenson is going to be defending his world title. And that was a fight. I was, I was in New York after I worked with Jesse Vargas. That uh, was in New York, March the 12th and 13th. And where he was, Shakir Stevenson was going to fight at the garden on the 14th. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so when I, get, when I get there on Thursday, they said that the fights were still going to go on, but there's not going to be no audience. You know, I said, well, shit, I don't care. Cause as long as they throw a punch, I get paid. But <laughs> Friday morning, Friday morning, like, we get a, a call that the fights have been canceled and I had to fly back home. So I think top rank being that that was the first fight, that was their last fight that they were going to have before this. It's going to be their first fight uh, when it comes to uh, uh, fight here in Las Vegas, June June and July. So it's going to be like 15 shows in, in two months. Damn, that's insane. And, and I appreciate you breaking that news over here. That's yeah, an exclusive yeah. story. I appreciate it. And I think, uh, I think that's a great way... Uh, to end and I don't want to take up too much of your time but like I said in the beginning I appreciate you coming on um, I, I can I could probably listen to your stories all damn day those are amazing like just the people you've been able to work with um, the situations you've been in and uh, again I appreciate you being on the uh, on our podcast and uh, I can't wait to you know someday have you on again and hear all the other crazy stories that you have because I'm sure you have Tons in the vault. Oh, I got a shitload of stories, man. You know, it feels like barbershop talk, and they're all true. You know, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I appreciate you having me on. But you know, I, I've written a couple books from the fields to the garden, one and two, and and it we talk a lot of of the behind the scenes events, things that I had working with so many fighters. But it also talks about you know me growing up as a farm worker and going join the military and how I got here. And, uh, so the books are available at Amazon.com. And, uh, yeah, it's called From the Fields, because growing up as a farm worker, From the Fields to the Garden. And uh, the garden, of course, was Madison Square Garden. And I've been there many times now. Man. So, well, there, yeah. you, there you have it, folks. Uh, go get those books. I'm going to get them. There's, you got nothing else to do. Sit back, read a book, read some books, get some old stories, get some, you know, some history in your life of, you know, one of the greatest cut men to ever do it. And uh, don't, you know, don't forget to follow him on Instagram, Stitch Duran, um, uh, support him and support uh, everything that he's been doing. And again, I, I appreciate it. And you were 
you made the you made my job easy as hell just getting to sit back and listen and enjoy the the stories. Well, you asked good questions, man. That was that was pretty nice. Your, you know, congratulations on your podcast, and yeah, we'll do it again because I got shit on stories, man. And you know, and you know, I used to co-host a radio show for like ten years, and and so I appreciate. You know, I always respond back. You know, like you called and other people call, and I always respond back because I know that you know it's a respect factor. You know that uh, you're trying to do your job, and 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 you got to kind of, you know. You kind of help them out, also, you know. So, yeah, anytime you want to do it again, man, I'm I'm more than available. Man, that's awesome. Well, thanks, thanks again, and um, I hope you guys. I hope you have a great day. I hope you have uh, a great, you know, rest of uh, quarantine. And I, I'm I'm excited to see you again in the in the corner. Yeah, well, you know, this, these top rank fights will they'll be on ESPN, you know. So uh, <clears throat> that's a good thing. And uh, let me add one more one more sponsor that I have. It's, oh, go for it! Uh, go for it! is I'm working with a company called uh, 3D Science. And what these guys did, they created a, a cream for cuts uh, for the healing process, right? So they contacted me and, and they told me what they had created. It has, uh, of course, CBD, it has stem cell, has vitamin E, it has collagen. And, uh, and, and they're all, you know, healing agents for cuts. So I asked them what kind of experience they have or what kind of proofs they have. Mm-hmm. They said, wow, you know, that's why we contacted you. I said, all right, well, I'll get you some food sources, you know. So I spoke to Dave Feldman from Bare Knuckle Fights and uh, Jay Tim, which is the vice president of sales. Uh, him and I, uh, he goes with me to the Bare Knuckle Fights. And being that everybody, a majority of them get cut, uh, once they're getting sold up in the dressing rooms, then he'll give them uh, the, the cut cream. Mm-hmm. And he'll take a picture of them, you know, with fresh stitches and bruised up and swollen and all that. And then a week later, these guys will send us pictures, and two weeks later, they'll send us the pictures, and the results have been tremendous. You know, so they, uh, yeah, they partnered up with me, or they made me a partner of their of the company, and um, you know, it's it's going to be called Stitch Finger Cut Cream. So, uh, oh, nice. You know, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's nice the way things just happen. You know, yeah. and then of course, yeah, it just it just happened. So. Uh, you know, we'll be plugging away on that, but that's not only, you know, just for combative fighters, it's good for people that, you know, they're in the medical field, you know, when you have surgery, you know, you use that cream and, and it, it helps accelerate the, the healing process and, and minimizes the scarring and all that shit. So just to be involved in that to me is uh, pretty honored. Oh yeah, man. Especially I think, cause uh, my, my dad has had a couple surgeries before and when he comes home, like, you know, those those cuts are really fresh and really, you know, it, it looks like oh man, I don't even want to touch it or do it anything like. So yeah. that's good to have those out there, especially you know for people, you know, just regular people who, like I said, have surgeries or anything like that, or you know, go under the knife and stuff. So that's really awesome. Yeah, yeah, you know, even for the you know the the ones that uh, are getting plastic surgery and all that shit, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. they want to make sure they don't want to walk around with bandages, right? So. Uh, yeah, so, so I teamed up with them, and uh, just the way things happen for me. Yeah, and I, I appreciate it again, like, the uh, ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, Stitch Duran, and I can't wait to do it again, and I can't wait to to just keep on watching you in those corners. All right, my man. Well, I appreciate it, huh? I appreciate it. Have a good one. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.